Welcome to another episode of Unpacking Bexley, a podcast focused on exploring and analyzing the many different aspects of life and culture here in the city of Bexley. We've been breaking from our conventional format to do shorter episodes addressing people who are stepping into positions of leadership or offering themselves for positions of leadership to help direct where our city is going and where our schools are going. Today, we are wrapping up this series with our remaining city council candidates and ballot issues one and two. All right. Thank you, Larry. Joining us today, we have myself, Spencer Cahoon, Bexley DEI member and friendly neighborhood Bexley residents. Also joining us, we have Daria Denoya. I am the Franklin County Democratic Party Bexley Ward 3 rep, and I am here today talking about campaigning in Bexley. Welcome, Daria. Also, we have Stacy Grossman, member of Bexley DEI and also Bexley resident. And last but not least, Hey everyone, this is Larry Diatley Ellison, also a member of Bexley DEI and representative for Bexley Pride. All right, and we're happy that you were able to join us today. So as I said, we're talking about city council candidates, the one you you haven't already heard from, as well as ballot issues one and two. The remaining city council candidates, these are all the incumbents. This is Troy Markham, Jessica Saad, and Matt Klingler. Now, all of those candidates we did reach out to and we invited them to the podcast All those candidates initially declined, noting that there were already two public forums. One of those public forums was canceled. We did reach out a second time. They declined again, but indicated they would be happy to provide written responses. Uh, We followed up for those written responses. However, Matt Klingler and Jessica Saad did not get us any written responses back. Uh, Ms. Saad did respond to us, had indicated she was going to do that. However, the day before taping, uh, she indicated that she didn't think she needed to do that to help people in Bexley uh, understand who she was and why she was running. Now, I would, would just like to point out I'm a little bit frustrated by that because the whole point of being on city council, taking a position of leadership like that, is as a representative of the community. And when the community invites you out to talk about what you care about in the community and what you're going to do in that role, to say, no, I don't think I need you for that, that's a pretty frustrating way to approach the role. So... I'm a little frustrated with uh, Miss Saad for the way she's approached this. And if they just said from the beginning, we don't want to be engaged or we don't have enough time or we're trying to balance life and work and this public service role, that would have been fine. But this is something where they both agreed to do something and then decided not to. So that, that's a little bit frustrating. However, Troy Markham did provide those written responses. And we're going to share a little bit of information with everyone here about what he's had to say. And then if you'd like to read the full written responses, there's going to be a link in the show notes. You can see the full questions plus the full responses for everything that Troy has provided if you'd like to understand him a bit better. All right, uh, Daria, what question really spoke to you and response that Troy provided? The question that I'm going to focus on is this one. Where do you see development opportunities in Bexley? And the answer that he provided is all over. My main focus has been on the improvement of Livingston, South Bexley, Main Street, and Ferndale Mayfield because these areas have been neglected and improvements there will make a significant difference for the entire city as a whole. This question and answer resonated with me because I've lived in South Bexley now for 22 and a half years. And especially when I look at the Livingston Avenue corridor and Ferndale Mayfield areas of Bexley, they have been in dire need of some improvements. We've seen some, and I would say that's probably kind. The Ferndale Mayfield area has been improved significantly with the community gardens, mm-hmm. 
um, different access points that, without adding a road, manage to open up and connect the living community to the rest of Bexley. It has always been so isolated, and mm-hmm. I have always felt like the residents there could really feel like they're on an island. That has been improved. The soccer fields add a wonderful community aspect to the area. So to continue to slow the traffic on Livingston Avenue in conjunction with working with the city of Columbus mm-hmm. and to continue to improve that area will be better for all of us who live in Bexley, but especially those residents of South Bexley. Completely agree. I'm also a South Bexley resident, and we recently moved from South Bexley to South Bexley. Big fan of the South Bexley area. And I think those improvements are going to be great as they continue to move forward. All right, Stacy, what question and response spoke to you? So the question that resonated with me was, what is your commitment, if any, to DEI and anti-racist efforts, and how do you envision that impacting future legislation? And Troy commented back, I'm committed to DEI and anti-racism efforts in our city. It's important to make that a part of all legislative considerations and include diversity as a goal for our city. I've written several resolutions and ordinances specifically with this in mind. And to his credit, he absolutely has, especially the most recent that he passed, Resolution 1222, that was co-authored with Jen Robinson. Mm -hmm. Um, That was his most recent, but he has proven himself throughout his entire term to be extremely pro-DEI and in our corner. And Stacey, for folks who are not knowledgeable about resolutions by number, what does that resolution relate to? It is an anti-Semitism resolution that Troy crafted, and he is very proud of it. And um, I was very proud of him and for Jen uh, and Jen for doing that. Mm-hmm. And th- that even got some statewide media coverage, and some other communities have taken that same model and instituted a very similar resolution. So that's something that really captured public attention, I think. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful that we as a city get to be this beacon where other cities have looked to in order to craft and create their own legislation that kind of mimics ours. Absolutely. All right, Larry, which question and answer spoke to you? Well, you know, I have to jump on the same bandwagon um, with diversity, equity, and inclusion sort of being my thing as well. So <laughs> That's fair. Uh, fair, yeah. So the question that spoke to me most was, what is your understanding of why DEI is important in Bexley? And Troy responded, I thought, pretty well about talking about scientific studies showing that diversity is proven a, a proven advantage in any social or government consideration. Having different viewpoints and experiences available as part of a planning process creates better outcomes and healthier environment for everyone. And so that's, mm-hmm. that is really my understanding and, and thought process as well, is we can't be too inclusive in the city and the more viewpoints that we have the better our city is and to to speak back to the resolution that stacy mentioned and the fact that we got some recognition throughout the state on that that's just one example of being inclusive and having a viewpoint that resonates with many people so the more that we can do that the better and i'm always looking for city council members school board members city administrators, school administrators that are going to help advance those ideas and get as many people at the table as possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the same reason in races we want people with different backgrounds because they bring different skill sets, different lived experience. And then when they're sitting down at the table trying to craft policy or solve problems, they bring a lot of different ideas and viewpoints. And when you hash that all out, you come out with stronger outcomes. Absolutely. All right. Well, let me toss in as well. Um, of his answers and questions that spoke to me, one of the questions, and by the way, these questions were all submitted by the community to a community survey. These are not questions we created ourselves. It was, what internal dynamics are necessary for an effective city council, and how would you support that? And his answer was, council needs to have a hunger for honest debate and disagreement, coupled with respect for individuals and the process of our democratic institutions. As president, he's a city council president, I've encouraged council members to not be afraid to be the one to six vote and bring their own unique experiences and viewpoints to the table. Now, what I love about this is when you get a group of people together to try to make decisions, which is what city council does, it's a mass decision-making body. It is very easy when you see that there are a number of people who support one thing to not speak up or to go along. Maybe you have reservations in your mind, but you don't share them. And when those things don't get shared, that's when weaker decisions get made. So even if ultimately the decision might go against whatever the viewpoint is you have right now, it's valuable to bring those out. Just like Larry was talking about a minute ago, it's those extra things that change things. Because even if something passes, maybe it changes based on something you've said, and maybe that makes it better. This is what we see in the state legislature all the time. Different interest groups, different individuals come in with their specific experience on issues, bring it in, and then legislation is amended around that to make it stronger than it was before. So I really love him identifying that and encouraging people in that role as president to speak their mind even if they are the dissenting voice, because I think that's really critical to making strong decisions. So kudos, Troy Markham, for those responses. In addition to that, there are a number of other questions. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to read the rest of the questions as well as the rest of Troy's responses. We will highlight just one more question and response as we go into our next issue. And that is the final question that was uh, submitted in the community survey, which was, do you support reproductive freedom and safe and legal abortion access? And Troy Markham said yes. And that is very timely, because right now we have issue one on the ballot, which we'll all be taking a look at and voting on this November 7th or earlier. And issue one is specifically about reproductive freedom, reproductive rights, miscarriage care, parental rights, childbirth. It, it takes all this into it. So people are paying a lot more attention to this issue than they do normally. And this is a hot button issue even in normal times. So... Jumping into this discussion about what issue one is, what you can expect, helping you understand it a little bit better if you don't already. Daria, I know you've been actively involved in campaigning for this, and you maybe know this better than anyone at the table today. So tell us a little bit about how you see issue one and what you think people should know. So issue one uh, is the issue to stop Ohio's extreme abortion ban and put families, not the government, back in charge of reproductive health and decisions. That's the simplest explanation I can give you. Period. Got yes. it. Yes. Currently, we have an abortion ban that is a, a six-week abortion ban at the first detection of, and I'm going to use air quotes here, cardiac fetal activity. There is a stay in place. So, yes, we have the ban. It has been halted. I am not a lawyer. You are. You might be able to give it's me true. the correct term. It has been heard again by a judge, and they can choose to instate it again, um, activate it again at any time. Yeah. Generically, it's as if the judge has pressed pause on the legislation 
And at any point, the judge can unpress pause, and then it goes back into effect. So it could go back into effect before the election. We don't expect them to do that. If the issue fails on November 7th, if we do not pass issue one, it will go into effect. That is what they have indicated. Yeah. At at some point after that, almost certainly. Yes. So that is where we are. Voting yes on issue one would end the abortion ban and make sure women and their families can once again make reproductive health decisions. That is it. <laughs> it's that simple. And okay. thanks and thanks for clarifying that, Dari. I, I that was my question because I know there's a lot of confusion about these yes no ballots, like yes means what, no means what, because sometimes they're not always intuitive. So mm-hmm. voting yes is it removes the ban. It eliminates Ohio's six week abortion ban. If you vote yes, you are voting to eliminate the ban. And it protects reproductive rights moving forward. I think it's worth mentioning issue one is a constitutional amendment. So the legislature goes back and forth, different people are elected, new laws are proposed, taken away. But once something is in our constitution, it is much harder to work uh, around that for the legislature. They kind of have to accept it and move on. So this would put the abortion debate somewhat to rest. I'm sure we'll see other iterations of it in the future. But a lot of these abortion ban laws that we've been passing now for years in Ohio that's not going to happen anymore, or if it does, it will be a 100% symbolic action because it will be immediately unconstitutional. Right. It will be codified in Ohio's constitution, which provides, it, it gives us a much greater likelihood that we will be protected as women and families in the state of Ohio. Absolutely. And one thing, and here's the lawyer in me talking now, reproductive rights have been difficult to protect, and different states have taken different approaches to cobbling away at reproductive rights. I lived in Texas for a time, which I I don't recommend. It's a a lovely scenery, but sometimes difficult place to be. But one thing we've seen there when people are cobbling away, people are regulating the hallway size for clinics that provide abortion. They're requiring admitting privileges at a local hospital for a physician that's doing that. Or they're requiring care facilities to be higher and higher quality to where um, there's hospital-grade things that are required for what is essentially an outpatient procedure. And those things have been targeted over and over to restrict abortion access and just make it unavailable in larger and larger parts of the state. One of the things this amendment does is say that anything that directly or indirectly burdens these rights will be unlawful. So all of these little runarounds that have been happening across the country to try to make it harder to access abortion care also will not be legal under this law. So it is very forward-thinking based on what we've already seen. Right. I'm glad that you brought that up, Spencer, because I don't know if you saw the news this week. In Texas, there is a community that is trying to block roads if somebody is driving somebody to a location where it is legal to obtain an abortion. Right. Oh, so, you're making my head explode. So when it sounds like it's too extreme, it probably is not. So we need to consider what a no vote means. A no vote means that in cases of rape or incest, you will not have access to an abortion. It means Mm -hmm. that miscarriage care will not necessarily be available to you. Um, We've had two situations that have made national news. One was the rape of a 10-year-old girl, as everybody in this room is aware of, who had to travel to Indiana Mm -hmm. for her medical care. And there was Um, a long denial that that had even happened. They thought it was just a political stunt. Yes, The other uh, case that made national news was a woman who was denied miscarriage care in the state of Ohio and was bleeding out 
at her parents' mm. house after she was sent home to manage it on her own because the hospital was afraid to provide the care that she needed because she was beyond the six-week date that's issued in the law. This was before the stay was put in effect. So, I mean, voting yes means that if you have a miscarriage, you can get care. Yeah, Voting and yes means that a child who was raped does not need to have a baby. Absolutely. I'm a criminal defense attorney by trade, and one of the things we've seen in this area is people who are going in for miscarriage care, there is the risk that they will be criminalized, that they will be charged, and that they will then have to prove that they were not having an abortion, that they were having a miscarriage and receiving care for that. And this has happened a number of times around the country already. And it's because other than doctors, it's very hard sometimes to understand the nuances of this. People train for years and have years of experience before they do these things, and there's a reason for that. Maybe you and I are not equally uh, well-educated to jump into these spaces. So there are a lot of ways people will be impacted who are absolutely blameless, who are just trying to move through the world and receive the medical care they need to continue to do that. Yes. Well, and I I can't predict the future, unfortunately. I wish I could. (laughs) Darn, that's going to be our next podcast idea. Right, see? But I think also the point with the, the state constitutional amendment in terms of protecting choice in Ohio, that it may also help possibly if we start looking at federal bans. I don't know if that's the case or not, but mm. I know when I you look know. when you look at the recent um, Speaker of the House nomination and election in right. Congress, I mean, not that the Republican Party is generally known for being pro-abortion care, but um, very anti that and does want to criminalize it, like has had stances in the past about criminalizing abortion. So I think everything that we can do to make sure that this does pass in Ohio on November 7th, the better positioned this state will be anyway to help try to protect women. Just one more thing to say for issue one before we segue into issue two. Mm -hmm. Something that I read that really resonated with me was a yard sign that said, the hardest decision a woman can make isn't yours. Hmm. And for me, that really stuck out. It was, it, it was humanitarian, it was personal, and it's a private matter. Mm-hmm. And to me, that spoke the loudest. I, I want to feel that I have that comfort level in that exam room with my physician, where it is just my physician and I, or a woman and her physician, to be able to talk through options, to be able to talk through the, the medical side, the emotional side, um, to, to have that freedom without feeling that you are also being tracked and monitored. Freedom of choice, really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a lot of information about issue one because it's a big issue and it's going to be really impactful in our community. Is there anything else that we think people should know in order to make sure they have a fully rounded understanding of what issue one means? I do just want to point out also that if if it does pass, it will be effect, in effect 30 days after the election is my understanding. What I would say is make sure you're reading the amendment because the summary language that's on the ballot hmm. is, um, how can I say this, not 100% accurate <laughs> and might even be longer than the actual amendment. Um, so seek out the actual amendment if you have questions. There is wonderful information available at um, Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights, 
on their website and also through Planned Parenthood. You can also find information through the Ohio Democratic Party. They have some um, information available on their website as well if you have questions. A yes vote does not take away a parent's right to work with their child Hmm. related to abortion care. It simply allows an abortion to occur beyond six weeks. Hmm. I think that's a good call out because for those of you who don't follow the Supreme Court, like perhaps I do, the Ohio Supreme Court has had cases about the language in this. And there's a big, been a big fight between the Secretary of State's office who approves the language you see on the ballot and crafts it compared to the people who wrote the amendment and the actual language. And there, there's been a, a fight over some of the terms, and there's been the suggestion that the Secretary of State is trying to put their finger on the balance, on, on the scale, to press it one way or another by changing some of this language to make it seem a little bit more insightful or impactful in a different way than what the actual language of the amendment has. So I would also agree it's a good idea to read the amendment. It's not super long. I think it's pretty accessible to people. Most constitutional language is pretty short. That's one of the very positive things about constitutional language as opposed to legislative language. So please uh, do do that. It'll only take you a couple minutes. And one other thing I would add is that this is a bipartisan issue. This is an issue that affects people across all political spectrums. Um, At least with the initial polling back in 2022, 59% of Ohioans are in favor of a yes vote on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And 33% of Republicans... And 85% of women who identify politically as independents Hmm. support this amendment. So we should not be thinking of this as simply a Democratic Party initiative or issue. It is a bipartisan issue that affects everyone. It certainly does. Women's rights are human rights. And women are slightly more than half the population now. So not just human rights, majority rights. With that, let's talk about issue two, because there are only two issues on the ballot. So that's issue one. Obviously a big deal, and that's a constitutional change. Issue two is not a constitutional change. It is the marijuana legalization, and I would say amendment, but it's not a constitutional amendment. It is what's called an initiated statute, which is kind of an uncommonly used process in Ohio, where citizens can put together a statutory language just like the legislature does every day, and then put it up for a vote by the citizens if the legislature is not interested or willing or politically able to take it up for various reasons. So this would not have the same strength as a constitutional amendment. This is much weaker, and the legislature can tweak it after it would go through if there is a yes vote on it. But at the end of the day, it's marijuana legalization. It's only for people 21 and over. So the coalition who's behind this is called the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. So you've got that same 21 or over age. The idea is that it would allow possession, use, uh, a certain amount of home grow as well, and it would provide for legal sale and then taxation of that. And that's because at this point, we have uh, 20 states who've fully legalized marijuana, which is quite a few. When I was a kid, (laughs) this was not the way things were, but this is where we are right now. And anyone who wants to get marijuana can just drive to a neighboring state and get it. Michigan, you know, right on our border, who we hear about a lot with Buckeye football, they have legal marijuana over there. So you can just take a quick trip to Michigan, buy your marijuana, come back. And they're, you know, just one of the 20 states. And all that tax money and all that revenue is from Ohioans, from Ohioans working in Ohio, and then going to other states. So there's no reason necessarily that we shouldn't be capturing that back in our state to improve our cities, our roads, to make sure that education and the other things we support are being funded. Local governments in particular, who will get a big chunk of that uh, money that's coming through here. 
All right. So issue two, I certainly have more to say about it, but I don't want to monopolize the conversation. So what are other people's thoughts on issue two? I'm for it. I think that it's it's a good thing. I think what it will do is help eliminate over congestion and overpopulation in prisons for misdemeanors. I think if we do work towards regulation, then there is that, you know, wonderful side advantage of state revenue, municipal revenue. I think it's it's a, a positive thing. Yeah, as a criminal defense attorney, obviously jail populations and prison populations are areas that I work with. And marijuana has been a big driver of incarceration, primarily at the jail level. Although when you're talking about trafficking, uh, those are people who end up in the, the prisons. So it is something that affects on both ends. And getting rid of that, we already have a number of places in Ohio that have decriminalized it. The city of Columbus, for example, which in Bexley we're surrounded by, has decriminalized simple possession. It used to be a $25 fine. The city council there has continuously lowered that to the point where it costs more to test to see if it's marijuana than the fine you have to pay. That's how they got to decriminalization. Uh, And Zach Klein's office, who's the city attorney over there, uh, the city prosecutor, has said, you know, we're just not going to pursue these anymore because it doesn't make any fiscal sense. Obviously, the city council is saying that we shouldn't be prioritizing this, so we're not. And that's been somewhat contentious in the state, but he's far from alone, given all the other states that have already legalized marijuana. And I think there's a a nice distinction between personal possession and intent to sell. Uh, I think that that kind of needs, that language needs to be made more aware and put out there so people have a better understanding of what this would exactly mean and entail if issue two did pass. And there is that distinction criminally. That being said, it will be legally sold. So there will be dispensaries in the state of Ohio legally selling marijuana that are regulated. The quality will be assured. You won't be worried about somebody dusting your marijuana with fentanyl so that you will have a stronger reaction. I don't know, people who are following this, we have about 5,000 people a year die of fentanyl overdose. And that's almost always people who are taking other drugs where they don't know fentanyl is there, or perhaps in some cases they do, but in the vast majority, it's unknown. So this would also help protect lives in that sense. Lastly, I'd toss in, prior to my time as an attorney, I was a social worker. And I've seen a lot of suffering and devastation in families and individuals around alcohol and drugs. But alcohol is something we have a long history of use. We're all somewhat comfortable with. Almost everybody has had some experience with alcohol, or if you have not personally, know many other people who have. But it's something we work with. Like, we take responsibility. We teach our children. We understand what the reasonable limits are. We don't drive when we've been drinking. You know, bars and such hold people accountable. They don't let people out when they've been drinking to a certain amount. They help call a cab. We have things that encourage designated drivers. Marijuana would be the same way after this, because we would be needing to talk to our children about it. We'd be needing to learn about what responsible use looks like so that we can live in a functioning society where this is not a problem. And it doesn't cause nearly the level of impairment and harm in society that alcohol does, which we already accept. So I think this is overdue. All right, so in summary, issue one, if you are in favor of protecting reproductive rights and making that a part of our Constitution so we don't have to keep fighting this battle every year, every other year, then that is going to be a yes vote for issue one. Regarding issue two, if you would like to legalize marijuana and regulate it like alcohol, 
then that will be a yes vote for issue two. And city council candidates, we have five candidates running for four seats. We have Alex Silverman, who if you don't know, you can hear about on an earlier version of our podcast. We have Danny Hurley, who also, if you don't know about, we have an earlier podcast episode with him as well. And we have our additional three candidates who are the current incumbents, Troy Markham, who you've heard some responses from today. We also have Jessica Saad and Matt Klingler. And we will have some links to their campaign materials in the show notes as well. So if you haven't been to their websites or want to investigate them a little bit more, we're going to make that easy for you so you can figure out who you want to vote for on November 7th or before. And don't forget the day before, November 6th, early voting is over. So if you want to vote early, uh, get in and do it ASAP or just vote November 7th. Uh, Make sure you know where your polling place is and make sure you bring your ID because the ID laws have changed. You need to have that uh, good driver's license, passport, military ID. It used to be you could bring utility bill or other things. Those times have passed now. At least they have in Ohio. So bring your state ID. If you do not have a state ID, you can go to the BMV and get one for free. That will allow you to vote. Just show up, bring a birth certificate, bring whatever other information you may have available, and they will get you set up with that. And then you'll be ready to vote on November 7th. And don't forget to double check your polling location. Good call, because they they do change. Yes. Uh, I myself have had my polling location change this election to last election. We're now at Montrose Elementary, which is a much more convenient polling location for me, I'll mention. I'm sure everyone cares about that. So for everyone who joined us, for Derry Denoya, for Stacey Grossman, for Larry DeAtley Ellison, and myself, Spencer Cahoon, thank you everyone for your time, and thank you for the Bexley Public Library, who has hosted us for a recording session. And thank you so much, Bexley community members, for listening. It is your listening that makes this possible, and we hope you found this educational and helpful in informing your voting decisions. Remember, you can listen to us anywhere you get your fine podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you like. And the name of the podcast is Daria Denoya. Unpacking Bexley. We'll see you next time.